passages that point to this. For example, Psalm 89, 19-29. But let's just look at verse 27. I'll just read 27 to you. If you want to look at the context, you can take that in your notes. But he says, I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is a a messianic psalm, but it's also speaking specifically about David. So it's a, a, a prophecy that is talking about David and the coming Messiah. So this phrasing of firstborn is exactly the same in the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But it's used to describe David. Was David the firstborn among his brothers? No. He was the ruddy young one, the the baby. What about when Jacob tries to bless Ephraim? Was Ephraim the firstborn? No, but he got the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob, was Jacob the firstborn? No, he was not. Esau was. Esau was the firstborn, but God had done things differently. He caused the blessing to be on Jacob. God uses this same phrase in Jeremiah 31.9. He says, With weeping they will come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water, on a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Again, Ephraim was not the firstborn. This idea of firstborn is a, a, an idea of, of love, of choice of the father. So when he says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, he's saying... Jesus is the primary, the preeminent of creation. He is the totality of creation. He is the supreme. But we don't just have to look at the Old Testament to see these things. In Romans 8.29, Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to become conformed to the image of His Son. Why would He do that? So that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, Paul is using exact same word here to describe the preeminent position of Christ. His supremacy as the first of His kind of the all-powerful, supreme God. Again, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And when He again brings the firstborn into the world, He says, And let all the angels of God worship Him. Who's the firstborn He's talking about? Jesus. Is this just... Was Jesus the firstborn into the world? No, he, he was before the world. That's absolutely clear. 
And, and we'll see that in verse 16. Well, let's, let's look there. He says, For by him, or through him, all things. Now, is he saying all things? I mean, maybe, maybe some of these things just evolved and God, God just started it. Is that what he's saying? I don't believe so. When Paul says all things, he means every single thing. There are over one million insect species on the planet. One million. And it is, of those one million, 80%, it's 80% of all living creatures on the earth. And every species has untold numbers. So you're telling me that God, who created all things, is Jesus? That's what he says, right? For by him, all things were created. They're not in a... You don't see things evolving, as nature and science would say, in the sense of... Yes, there are changes that animals take to better survive in the environment that they're in. But you don't see what this world claims is evolution. But he says, for by him all things were, cre- were created. Well, well, maybe, you know, maybe Jesus was created and then these things. That's the argument that some will take. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses will argue. That's what... The Arians argued in the early church, denying the divinity of Christ. Well, he says, both in the heavens and on earth. But he doesn't stop there. He says, visible and invisible. So you're saying that everything seen or unseen was created by God. And not only that, through or by Christ. This is strong language. This is, Paul is not laying down and letting heresy run through the church at Colossae because the heresy that they are preaching will declare Jesus as weaker than he is. Because they're trying to say, that Jesus is an emanation of God. He is not fully God. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And Paul is not playing games. I believe that he is talking about Jesus in a, in a picture of supremacy of rank. He is the firstborn. He is the most... Highly ranked. He's chosen of God for his purpose. This is Jesus. This is who we serve. Jesus is the end time Adam. Yes, Adam was technically the firstborn in time, but in, in eternity, who was the first? Jesus, the Son. He was not be born, but he was begotten. Yes, he was born in this world, but as the Son of God, he always was. He's the 
Alpha and Omega revelation. It's clear. He's not got a, a, a beginning or an end. He was there and He will be there. And because Jesus Christ is first, He has sovereignty over all creation. J.B. Lightfoot says, God's firstborn is the natural ruler, the acknowledged head of God's household. Because He created it all, it is His It belongs to Him. And nothing on this earth does not. We do catechism questions with the kids. And there's one question that we do a lot. Who made you? God. Why? For His glory. That's the key. We were created for His glory because He is the natural ruler of all things. Because He is the creator of all things. Unfortunately, many times we don't want that. We don't want to serve Him. We don't want to serve the Word. As John 1.1 says, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was. Was. Not used to be. Not it. He is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. This is exact same, right? It's exactly what He's saying in, in 16. And apart From Him nothing came into being that has come into being. So you're telling me that nothing on this earth has come to pass in heaven, visible, invisible, without His exact work? That's what He's saying. If Jesus was dead in a grave, then nothing on this earth would be here. We'll get, we're going to get to that even more strongly. Verse 4 says of John 1, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then if you jump to verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. And then in verse 14 he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only Begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is not a weaker God. He is God. He is fully divine. So when we begin to talk about verse 16, we saw that purpose and that ground statement that Paul is using to argue that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. He's saying He's firstborn of creation because He created everything. But He didn't just create the physical realm. He created the spiritual realm. 
That's what he's talking about. But not only that, look, at the end of verse 16, he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. That means the universe. Every part of our universe was created by Jesus and through His power. Well, what does he mean by thrones and dominions? He, this is a specific attack against this pre-Gnostic thinking that's come into the church at Colossae. Because they, they wanted to create a hierarchy of angels. And so, well, we have Michael here and we have these angels here and, and we'll worship based on, we'll give to each worship based on their, their level of power, their, their closeness to the throne. And so Paul is attacking this right away. He's saying, if there are differentiations of angels, and we know there are because Michael's called the archangel, but he's saying, he's not arguing with them about who's where and what, because that's just useless and wasted time. But what he's saying is, doesn't matter who's where because Jesus set it up. Jesus, right, created the thrones, the dominions, the rulers, and the authorities. But this isn't just a declaration about the spiritual realm, about the angels that serve God or the demonic. This is about also authorities on this earth. Jesus created it all. Through Him, all these things came into being. Even the laws of nature as we call them, those are God, God's design. Jesus brought them about. Christ, our Savior, the one who we run to for salvation. He created these. Man just discovered them. They're not Newton's laws. They're Christ's. Newton just discovered them. Gravity is a name we've given to a, an observable way in which God acts every moment of every day in our world. You know what a miracle is? When God decides to circumnavigate his already planned way of functioning in our world. The way that he normally holds things together. That's what a miracle is. It's him moving outside of that. This, our creator, he created all that we know and all that we don't even know and we're still trying to find out of nothing. Unlike these heretics that Paul is attacking, Christ is not an emanation. He is the creator of everything, even the invisible spiritual realm, the entire universe. This is our God. This is our Savior. He's not a weak nothing. 
He is strong, He is mighty, He is powerful, and He is to be served. But He's not just Creator, He is ruler, He is supreme in creation. Colossians 2.10, just turn the page over, says, And in Him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. You don't need anything else. That's what Paul's saying. You're running to these, these angels and they're below Jesus Christ. Why are, you, why are you doing that? Why are you degrading Jesus Christ? Ephesians 1, 20 through 21 says, He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Very similar language, right, to verse 16. And every name that is named. What is He saying? No matter what the title is, Jesus is above it. There's not a title that is more valuable than the name of our Lord. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. When you serve Jesus Christ in this life, don't worry, you'll be serving Him then. You're not going to be serving another God. Jesus Christ is God. You serve yourself here, You're going to live in eternal damnation because you did not serve the living God when God gave you an, an opportunity. Lightfoot said this, he said, Of every dignity or title, real or imaginary, which is reverence, God, Christ is to be worshipped. Paul is not worried about all the endless arguments over whose angel should be worshipped. He doesn't care about that. Because Jesus is better than it all. Because He created them. He created the order. He created it all. He's to be worshipped, not them. I want to end this verse 16 with... Another quote from Lightfoot, and I'm sorry I'm quoting him a lot, but I really like his commentary. I would highly recommend his commentary on Colossians. But he says, this is kind of his translation of what Paul said thus far. He's like, you dispute, dispute much about successive grades of angels. You distinguish each grade by its special title. You can tell how each order was generated from the preceding. You assign to each its proper degree of worship. Meanwhile, you have ignored or you have degraded Christ. I tell you, it is not so. He is first and foremost Lord of heaven and earth, far above all thrones and dominations, all princedoms or powers, far above every dignitary and every potentate, whether earthly or heavenly, whether angel or demon or man, that evokes your reverence or excites your fear. He is above it all. He does not stoop to their level. He is the creator 
of the universe. And the amazing thing is He came and died for our sins. He came and gave His life. This God, Jesus Christ. It's hard to read this section and not leave away, leave in awe of who Jesus is. That's the point. Paul is telling them, what is wrong with you? You know who Jesus is. Why are you going after these false and weak gods who are not gods at all? Go to Jesus. You don't need another source. You don't need another idol. But Paul ends this verse 16. He says, not only does were all things created through Him and for Him or toward Him. This is a very interesting phrase. Why is he saying this? Does, does this mean that the world was created for Him? It seems so. Because... It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 21, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation itself is waiting for the deliverance that comes through Jesus Christ. Because it will be set free from the curse that was placed on man in the garden. Seems like to me that Paul is saying he's the creator at the beginning and he's the end for which the creation was made. For His glory. Right? All things were created for His glory, not another's. All of creation started with Him, and it's going to end with Him. What a magnificent thought. Revelation 22 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Word was with God in the beginning, John 1 1, and He will be at the end. This is our God. He has been here from the beginning of time, He stands outside of time but came into our world and gave us a revelation of who He is. But He doesn't stop there. Jesus, yes, is supreme in creation because He created, but not only did He create, verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So He existed And is existing, right? It says He is. It doesn't say He was existing before all things. 
It says He is before all things. He came before. This is a very clear picture of a timeless Christ. An eternal Christ. A, a God, a divine being. He is. If Jesus was writing it, He would say, I am. He is before all things. He doesn't have to concern himself with, well, what came before me? Because he was before all things. But that's not enough. It says that he was before all things and and in him all things hold together. They cohere. Murray Harris says, What Christ has created, He maintains in permanent order, stability and productivity. He maintains it in permanent order, stability and productivity. He is what holds our world together. The laws of nature are His laws. You want to know why I believe Jesus still lives? Because the Bible said He holds all things together. And if He was dead, we would not be here. If we believe Jesus is the Son of God, then we have truth that we can hold on to. If we believe Jesus was a true human being, a historic being, a historic person, and we know that He was crucified, there's historical proof then he must have risen from the grave or we would not exist. Because he holds the world together. It is by his very word that he holds all the created order together. And because of his existence, the universe is able to function. All the phenomenon that scientists have discovered and will discover will point to Jesus as the ruler of it all. He is everything. If Jesus is the one who was before all things and He holds the world together, what does that say for us? As Creator, Christ knows us best, and He, therefore, must be the first place we turn for all things pertaining to life and godliness. He made us. He sustains us. We are made for Him. That's a strong statement, right? We were made for Him, not for another. Not to follow the things of the flesh. Not to follow the things of this world. He holds this world together. Lightfoot says, He is the principle of cohesion in the universe. He impresses on creation that unity and solidarity which makes it a cosmos instead of chaos. If it weren't 
For God, it would be the chaos that we see in Genesis 1. But it was a formless void. That's pre-holding together. This world holds together because we have a Savior and God who cares even for us all. For the littlest among us. Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. Isn't that incredible that God, that Jesus Christ through His word holds all that we know and experience together. This is our God. You say, well, what is the great value of this? Well, our Hughes says, seeing Christ as He is will keep us from heresy, for it will steal us against a scaled-down Christ which has captured so many lost hearts. The world wants a weak Jesus Christ. They want a Christ who is moldable to their desires. We don't serve that Jesus. We serve the Creator and Ruler of all that we know. The One who sustains the world and the universe we live in. This is Jesus. It's not what this world is proclaiming. He is worthy of our lives. And that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, Jesus is the Creator. He is supreme. So we should serve Him. Stop serving these angels. Stop worshiping your own desires. Worship Him. Because He is actually worthy of worship. Before we even talk about Jesus being the firstborn of the new creation, we need to worship Jesus because He created us in the first place. The fact that we have life means He's worthy of our worship. Period. If He had never come to the earth to die for our sins, He would still be worthy of our worship. But, when we get to verse 18, we find out that not only did Jesus create us, but He newly created us. He is, what does it say there in verse 18? He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. So not only is He supreme in creation, but He is supreme in the church. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped because He created us and He rules the universe we live in. But He's also worthy to be worshipped because He died for us as the firstborn from the dead. Was he the first person to be raised from the dead? No. Lazarus was raised from the dead. That little boy was raised from the dead. 
But he's the first person that was raised from the dead who never died again. Do you think, is Lazarus still living? No. God just gave him more time. I bet you Lazarus is in heaven though. But Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And that's what gives him authority over the church. Over redemption. Over the new creation. The new covenant. He is supreme in the church. He's not just a second thought. He is the Lord of the church. If we create a church and Jesus is left out, it is not a church. A church is not a building. It is a gathering of believers, members of a body. If I took the head off of any one of you, would your members do anything? Maybe for a moment. (laughs) But eventually... Your members need a head to tell it what to do. In the same way, we as a church, by necessity, need Christ to show us what to do, to hold us together, just as He holds our world together, to unify us. And He is able to be that because He is the firstborn not only from of creation, but the firstborn from the dead. He is the head of the body. He is the mainspring of its activity, Lightfoot says. It's out of Him that the church flows. When we are in tune with what Jesus is doing through His Holy Spirit in our church, we will function as a body. When we separate ourselves from Christ as the head, we lose the function that He made us for. He doesn't just say that. He says, He is the beginning. Again, we're we're seeing He is throughout this section of Scripture. He is the beginning. Not used to be, not will be. He is. He is. He is. This means He is the origin of all things. He is the start of the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn. The preeminent from the dead. He is the head of the body. Do we live like that's true? Do we as a church, do I as pastor, do you as members, do we look to Jesus for our guidance? Is He really the head of this church or is it our opinions? 
Is it our desires? What is it that leads this church? Maybe it's traditions. Maybe it's an individual. What is it that truly leads this church? Is it Jesus Christ? Because if He is not head, then it doesn't matter how much preaching I do. It doesn't matter how much singing you do. It doesn't matter how many people were to come in here on a Sunday morning. If He is not the head, then all we do is in vain. Because the church is His. It belongs to Him. He is the supreme in the church. We don't like talking many times about this, but He is the head. He must be preeminent because this is how He ends verse 18. He says, so that, remember we said so that means this is the reason why He is the firstborn of the head, why He's the head of the church. So that He Himself, He in His own person, will come to have first place in everything. I'm sorry I'm yelling. Maybe I'm excited. But first place. This word can be translated preeminent. First place in what? Everything. Oh, come on, Lord. That's not right. I don't want you to have first place in my marriage. I I don't want you to have first place in my family. I don't want you to have first place in my vocation. I don't want you to have first place in my mission in life. I don't want you to have first place in outreach. I don't want you to have first place in the matters of my my mind. My time, my love, my conversation, my, my pleasure, my eating, my play, my athletics, videos, art, music, worship. I don't want you to have all these first place. No, that is why He did it. He is firstborn in creation and firstborn from the dead so that He will be first in everything. The thing is with Christ, second place is so far behind, you might as well say it's a thousandth place. Because if Christ is first, then all things will come under that authority. So I have a question for us. Is Christ first in our lives? Is that the result of knowing who Jesus is? Because He's preeminent over all. If our lives, if our family, our marriage, our job, our our purpose, the outreach that we do, the way we think, the time that we spend, the love that we give, our conversations, the pleasures that we love, the eating, the, the play, the, the, the things that we, the sports that we play, the videos we watch, the, the art that we value, the music that we listen to, the way that we worship. If that is not putting Jesus Christ as first, then we need to question our walk with Him. 
We need to question, do I believe what Paul is saying? Do I really believe that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all that I know? Do I truly believe that Jesus is the head of the church? Jesus is the head over all the physical realm and over all the spiritual realm. If He's first in both, then He should have first place in our lives. Do we treat Him as having a paramount rank, dignity, and importance? That's the definition of this word, first place. It's according to Merriam-Webster's. Is He the paramount rank in all these things in our lives? I would encourage you to make a list of the things that you spend your time doing. The what, what you think about. Who you love. How you love. And ask yourself this question. Is that placing Christ first? Because if it's not, we need to repent. But there's grace. There's hope. Because we... He came and died for us. He, did, he didn't just leave us in our sin. He came and died so that we could walk with Him. So that He could guide us. And the reason that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the reason that He's the firstborn of creation is in verse 19, it says, For, again, this is explaining what he meant, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. The Father was not saddened or displeased to have the fullness in Christ. This all the fullness of deity, the plenitude of God in Christ. This same word that's translated fullness, when it's used to describe a ship's crew, it describes a ship with its full complement of crew members. So if you said, oh, they have a fullness of crew, I'm not going to get on that ship and find out that the first mate's missing and that the cook is missing. No, everything is there. Nothing missing. This phrase is an attack by Paul against the heresy that's going around in Colossae. Because he's saying, you think that Jesus is an emanation of God, that He is somehow less than God? That when I say fullness, you think, oh, there's something missing upstairs? But Jesus, what Paul is saying by using this very word, he's saying, there's nothing missing in Jesus Christ that is divine. He is fully divine. There is nothing missing.
And Colossians 2.9 confirms that. You can just turn the page and look. He says, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This word fullness is the exact same word that he used in verse in one nineteen. But the, the only difference between this phrase and what he said on the last side is that of deity is added. This genitive, if you know grammar, is added to, to explain what he means. What, what fullness of what? Of deity, of, of God himself. It's implied in 119. That word has that strong meaning. The fullness to dwell. This dwell, is that like a temporary place? Is he saying like it's a hotel? Jesus is just a hotel of the Holy where the where God, you know, just stays for a little bit on vacation maybe no he's he's saying a dwelling place a habitation where he lives that's the idea of dwell false teachers for the ages from the beginning of christianity to today they love to downgrade the fullness of the divinity of christ because if they can downgrade that, then they can twist Scripture to whatever they want. But if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the, the fullness of God in the flesh, if He is that, then we must obey. If Jesus is the supreme in creation and the supreme in the church, then all else must submit to Him. Everything else must Bow to His power and His Word. R. Kent Hughes says, Fullness means that the totality of divine power and attributes is in Christ. The whole fullness, the full fullness. Jesus Christ is the exhaustion of God. Moreover, the fullness is said to live in Him. It is not temporary. It was and is there to stay. Jesus is fully God. And He's fully man. This is why His sacrifice was sufficient for our sin. This is our Savior. This is the one we serve. I don't know about you, but I am very grateful, thankful to God that His Son, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Ruler, the Head of the Church, is our Savior. He died. It wasn't below Him. He, as a servant, came and died on the cross so that we could experience victory over the devil, victory over sin, and love 
those who have not known Him yet. I don't know, Joe, do you still have that song? Do you know? Um, Praise Him. It's from that album that was... Okay. Let's pray and then we'll stand. I don't know if you know this song. I don't know if it has lyrics on the the Spotify or not, but um, even if we just stand and listen... It's a really beautiful song, and maybe you'll catch on and you can sing along too. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to die for us. That here, Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the power over all powers, who is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, that He is our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us not to take lightly who He is. Let worship spring up in our lives. Lord, expose those areas of our lives where we have not put You first. Lord, I know that our marriages and our families, our our jobs, our our day-to-day, if you are first, Lord, we will experience wholeness like never before. Draw us to yourself, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.